Welcome back to the Writer's Room. This is Let's Write, the podcast where we take some big ideas for movies, break the story, and mold them into some beautiful screenplay concepts. I'm Ryan Matsunaga, and joining me, as always, is my fantastic co-writer, Julian Rose. Jaunty jazz. Normally, I would engage with this, but uh, this week, we have no time for your jazzy (laughs) nonsense, my friend, because joining us this week is a very special guest writer, host of the Unboxing Pandora podcast, DC superfan, and my very good friend, Mr. Peter Holstrom. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We've been trying to get you on this show for 20 years now. For for 20 plus years, I've been haunting you ever since uh, the special editions came out. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've been sending owls. I've been sending... Pig, I, I had a pigeon phase, a carrier pigeon phase. You've just been throwing birds into the wind. <laughs> <laughs> just just straight chucking these owls just out the window, <laughs> trying to get them to. Oh, and you see, I was doing smoke signals. <laughs> <laughs> that, see, that, that was the disconnect. You were doing smoke signals. I was doing owls. The owls died in the smoke. That's I get it now. This just t- completely exactly. makes sense. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so we have Peter on this week uh, for, for a very special occasion because we have a very exciting announcement. Uh, this weekend, Let's Write will be participating in the first ever Force Fest. It's a fan-run virtual convention dedicated to all things Star Wars. And all three of us are going to be hosting a live Star Wars-themed episode of this show on Saturday, August 29th at 3.45 Pacific Time. Um, so we'll be uh, we'll be participating in the expo. We'll be running an hour-long panel. Where we'll be running a show just like this, but only pitching Star Wars concepts. And our panel, along with the entire event, will be raising money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So please tune in if you're around. Uh, invite your friends. Invite your family. Sign your dog up for an account. Uh, we'd love to see you there. <laughs> that's uh, that's this Saturday at three forty-five. Wouldn't it be crazy if like uh, just someone listening to this like a year from now they're like this weekend. And then they go and it's like, but it, but it was act, like there was some, we got caught in a time loop and we were perpetually doing a Star Wars panel every weekend for anyone who's listening to our podcast at any point in time. Like it's not a bad idea. Yeah. What do you think? What do you mean stuck? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's an ideal <laughs> life right there. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, please join us if you can. We'd love to see you there. You can find a more information pinned to our Twitter account at twitter.com slash let's write pod. Or just search up uh, Force Fest on on basically any social media platform, and you're going to find plenty of details. All right, let's just uh, let's dive right into it. Um, so this week we're going to be taking uh, some pitch ideas from our our patented movie idea algorithm, which is going to generate for us some interesting concepts, which are obviously going to be instant classics. Uh, Julian, you want to take the first one? Uh, yeah, yeah, hit me. Just plug it in right here. Boop, 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 boop. That's the sound of our patented algorithm that work. That's such a good uh, sound, honestly. Julian, could you uh, could you give me a, a Jurassic Park movie uh, set in kind of a hard sci-fi sort of style story? And uh, if you could find a way, could you make it Oscar Beatty? Jurassic Park, sci-fi, hard, do you say hard sci-fi? Yeah, so we're looking for like a hard, hard sci-fi Jurassic Park. But we also want to win Best Picture this year. Hard this sci-fi. is our year. I really feel it. We want to win Best Picture. Okay, so uh, two things. A, I hate you for sticking me with Jurassic. I, I already had to do the. We did the yeah, Jurassic I don't know Deep. How this keeps happening. Look, it's, and... it's, the, it's the will of it's the will of the force telling you that uh, you need to become a Jurassic fan. It's just very much not for anyone who's listening. They know that it's not my not my genre or my forte. Nothing wrong with it. Just not you know not my favorite thing. So so just got to get that out there. Uh, uh, B, I'm gonna, I think, return if I'm remembering correctly, I'm gonna be returning to an idea and maybe expanding on something that we pitched on a previous one. I, I, I think when we were working through a Jurassic, our, our Jurassic Deep episode, before we settled on Jurassic Deep, we explored a couple versions. And I, and I believe if I'm remembering, one of them was like Jurassic Park 2049 or something, something ridiculous like that. So I'm gonna maybe return to that concept a little bit because I, I, when you when you said this, I immediately went to Dinosaur War, like future Dinosaur War. Like, uh, I don't. Do you guys remember that computer game where they you were like the raptor, but you had weapons? It was like an old PC game. I don't. I don't remember the name. Um, yes, of course. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, just indulge him. Just like completely blanking on we the name. Smile and nod when these things happen. <laughs> yes, exactly. Smile and nod, exactly. boys. Um, so I'm thinking that kind of. So so I think we open on like. 
actually, you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to totally bend this Jurassic Park thing since I'm not into it generally. I'm going to bend it into my uh, uh, wish fulfillment Terminator movie that I've always wanted to see. It'll just be dinosaurs instead of Skynet. I've always wanted to live in sort of that future war, desecrated Earth uh, sort of vibe that they never quite seem to want to deal with in Terminator. So I think I think we open in the the ruins of a of a very far future post apocalyptic Earth, and just we got dinosaur bodies littered everywhere, and we've got like they're they're like they're half. Di- half organic half cyber like this is like cyborg dinosaurs is basically going to be the selling point both from a merchandising standpoint and uh and a narrative standpoint and so i think i so so remind me again what what am i looking for for like hard sci-fi like what are some of the because i'm not as familiar what, what what are some of the beats that i need to hit to qualify for hard sci-fi so i feel like you probably should ask this question before uh before landing us in the uh <laughs> cyberpunk post-apocalyptic future <laughs> with cybernetic dinosaurs but uh, i think we're looking for something that is very scientifically grounded so so if uh if cinema sins were to watch this movie they would be like zero sins you guys are the first one we're closing the channel okay then let me retract so ma- actually maybe i could logically bounce off of uh jurassic world fallen kingdom where the ending spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen that ends with the dinosaurs kind of being let out into society proper. And I'm sure they'll pick up on that thread in Dominion, but because we haven't yet seen that movie, maybe I can sort of like fast forward from there, pretending like Dominion isn't real yet. So maybe it's sort of a Planet of the Apes, like like new new Planet of the Apes trilogy sort of vibe mm-hmm. where we pick up kind of in, uh, in, in maybe Planet of the Apes 3 uh, ter- territory where like re- well and truly there's only like a few pockets of human survivors left and by and large the dinosaurs are are running the earth um i thought we were gonna have ricardo Montalban in it <laughs> <laughs> it's the true third installment and, yes. I'm, and i'm trying this is this is really putting me I'm, tr- I'm just trying to figure out how we get the oscar bait yeah it's it's tough this is uh, i i think we're gonna have to really dig into a human interest angle in this if we're, if we're gonna be able to combine hard sci-fi with oscar bait I feel like we're going to have to actually steer away from what generally makes Jurassic Park so strong, which is the cool dinosaurs doing fun things and figure mm-hmm. out a way to make this an extremely human story. I got it. I got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I got it. I'm going to, okay. We're going to do, I got my mixing bowl. The, we got like the, the flower is the sort of like war, th- war for, is it war for the planet of the apes? Is that the third one? Uh, of the new trilogy yeah yeah okay so my flowers my word for the planet of the apes then i'm gonna throw in some cinnamon which is gonna be um (laughs) a dash of life of pie and okay and then uh my sort of like i'm gonna crack an egg in there of land before time so uh we're gonna whisk these things together and we're gonna get something along the lines of same setup like like basically like dinosaurs are running the earth they've established their new habitat pockets of human resistance here and there uh, not resistance, pockets of human survivors, I should say. And we're going to pick up on a young child, boy, girl, doesn't matter. Um, and this child is in the in the village that it's growing up in. He's going to one day discover a, a young, I don't know, fuck, Stegosaurus or something. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we need, we need, this is where we need Derek for this. He could give me some good dinosaurs that we could use. But uh, he's going to, he's going to basically establish, he's going to find a wounded young baby something or other at, at some point in the story and the village obviously doesn't react to this very well because the dinosaurs obviously destroyed the world but this boy just like has a connection with this thing maybe this dinosaur is a little bit more intelligent or starting to display some signs of a, a greater intelligence and able to form some sort of emotional bond with this boy and uh this this thing needs to get back to its mother and so the boy kind of decides it's his, his sort of like coming of age moment his 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 uh, manhood, uh, the way he's going to achieve his manhood is by embarking on this journey to to escort this dinosaur across the land to sort of get him back home to where he needs to be. And, and they're going to encounter uh, resistance from both, from both of their kinds, from the human kind, the hate from the humans, and the natural aggression and hate from the dinosaurs. Neither is willing to accept the bond between dinosaur and human. And we're going to get so many amazing opportunities for this uh, this child actor to to really, really sell this thing and to, and to to bring a level of emotion to it that's going to get this guy. It's like some Jacob Tremblay, you know. He may be a little too young. Maybe we need like I'm trying to think who's a 
maybe like a Daphne Keen or something, you know, maybe a little older than that. We mm-hmm. need, we need someone who's going to come in and just, just really bring that pathos. And we get, you know, we could sprinkle a little Logan in there too, sort of that like cross country, uh, vibe and, and, uh, that, you know, that, that, that movie felt a little Oscar Beatty or as, as Oscar Beatty as I think a superhero movie could get. So that's, that's kind of where. It was where, nominated um, for a few things. Okay. Yeah, there we go. So that's kind of where I'm going with this. And I think, I think that'd be a fun setup. That would be a, that'd be a really, really intimate, small scale Jurassic Jurassic movie. I don't know. What do you guys think? There, there's some elements in here that I, I really like. I, I like the idea of this uh, sort of land before time ish structure of of mm-hmm. maybe make putting them on like an like a like a, almost like a road trip. The the future post apocalyptic equivalent of the road trip. You know, like the same way that those dinosaurs in that movie were were journeying to the the valley or, or whatever it was. But to, to essentially pair up a, a human and a dinosaur that have to undertake this cross country journey together, uh, and I think I think really leaning into the the uh, the sort of realism of the world and and maybe having that language barrier actually be kind of a a key plot element. I, I think it would be very clever and very kind of a uh, uh, big brainy to to essentially not even have our main characters speak English. Like, what if this is set like yes. a thousand years into the future after Ooh. the past, and they're speaking some future like form it. of English, which is all subtitled? You know, in the same way that the Planet of the Apes movies had them, you know, speaking ape to each other basically, mm-hmm. and, and to really create this kind of um. Uh, uh, voyeur-like experience where you're where you're almost watching a documentary on on mm-hmm. the kind of uh, migratory habits of, of a dinosaur and and a human being, uh, almost like an anthropological study, you know, set thousand years after the the fallen kingdom era. Is it yeah? Is it too on the nose to just even maybe go like if we're going like a thousand years or something? And these dinosaurs have had a thousand years to evolve and develop. Like like could we kind of uh, go in the angle of War for the Planet of the Apes, where they're like semi semi intelligent. Like, would that be whack if we had like mo capped raptors that are semi talking in some some version of a language? I'm not saying we can't, but you are really fighting this hard sci fi angle. You are you are <laughs> strapping on some gloves and going but, to war with it, which is but a War for the Planet of the Apes did it, and I think they were that was like fairly hard. I mean, they had a they, that was very grounded in science. They had that like they had the serum that made the apes semi intelligent, and they evolved, and they were like. That that felt like believable within uh, the uh, context of that world. Uh, uh, okay, okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I do think it's it's such a. What I like about your pitch, though, is that it one element. I love I love the Jurassic Park movies; they're amazing. But one element that we do kind of lose as the films go on is that sense of wonder and joy that the first film had. You know, like as much as there was terror as well, there was also moments of just pure beauty. And it's, this feels like a film that could allow for that to be reintroduced into it, mm. which is such a smart move because that's where the empathy lies, right? That's the connection for the audience. Mm. And that's where, you know, that's what the Oscars are all about. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that, you know, like, a, like I heard a brontosaurus grazing in, in the ruins of old New York, you know, amongst the skyscrapers or heard a triceratops yes. thundering across the highway. You know, I, I think that 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 imagery is very evocative to me. And I think just seeing them in a a reclaimed habitat is uh, is something very interesting. And to really take a sort of anthropological look at it, a very realistic uh, attempt at portraying what these what these animals might be living like and how humans might be interacting with them in a post-post-post-Jurassic mm-hmm. uh, Park world. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, man, I'm just thinking about the cinematography potential here. Like, like we get like a Hoyt Van Hoytema in here doing this thing. And like we, like just the 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 visual palette to me is already it's like becoming the more we talk about it, it's becoming very visual in my head i think yes. and like we definitely have one of those shots where like you know that shot in the force awakens with the tie fighters and the sunset like that that very famous money shot um you mean the apocalypse now shot yes exactly exactly the, the <laughs> should have started there uh, the uh, apocalypse now shot yes correct we definitely have that exact shot but with brontosaurus's walking yes. across the the landscape you know like that same sort of like the sure. heat the heat um what do you, the the ripple the heat ripples kind of you know like with the brontosaurus net like the long the, the brontosaurus is the long neck dinosaur right the one the big tall mm-hmm. yeah. yeah just like yeah. walking oh man beautiful beautiful mm-hmm. i completely agree well i think what's too is so much fun is how what ryan was just talking about how you have so many scenes that are inside metro- inside metropolises and the dinosaurs and the humans you know, I'm thinking of like movies, the post-apocalyptic movies, the Mad Max style movies, right? Where like the humanity that was is so foreign that it becomes alien in a way, right? 
like Planet of the Apes 2, the, the original Planet of the Apes 2, right? How easily the humanity that we know today can become something entirely different in the future. Sure. And that insight into humanity is so fascinating. Hmm. I, I didn't. I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm actually clairvoyant, and I'm, I'm getting a, a vision from the future <laughs> right now. And and it's an envelope opening, and it's the the winner for best sound mixing goes to this movie. Wow, <laughs> Amazing. incredible vision! Amazing. <laughs> so this we is did it. Like, we did it. This is like legit. I mean, like it started in a in a. It started with Dinosaur War, uh, like Terminator style, but like <laughs> like legitimately, like no joke, like joking aside, I I think they could make this movie. You know, like next year. And I think it would be very well received. I think there's a there's a really strong angle here. I would love to see it, and I, I think what I would love to see most is where you see like the dinosaurs themselves portraying humanity in a way that even the humans don't have at this period, right? Mm-hmm. And that is such an interesting concept to me. You know, I'm into it. I like it. Can can we can love we get it. a title? Anyone have a very evocative title? I was just thinking hmm. about that. Like I was thinking, like, do, do you just do you just go the God of War angle and just call it Jurassic Park? You know, and, but but no, I, I don't think you do that. But that, that's where my head went first. But mm-hmm. that's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> Could it be? Oh man! If I if I give it this title, then we lose every Oscar that we were going to get nominated for. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna just just to get the ball rolling. Jurassic Heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They see the vision changing, and the envelope is resealing, and they're actually banning us from the academy. So that's uh, it. Actually, development. It actually just became a straight to DVD film. <laughs> <laughs> that's getting dumped on Quibi. Yeah, no effects budget at all. <laughs> Does it have to? Okay, well, let me let me let me throw this little twist at you guys as we're trying to brainstorm um, a name. Does it even have to? have the word Jurassic in it? Like, could we do a uh, kind of like a, a shoot, I'm forgetting the name of the, was it Split, the second in the in the mm-hmm. un- Unbreakable trilogy? Yep. Could it have yes. that kind of thing where it's like just kind of an unrelated thing and then you're like, oh, this is actually a Jurassic, this is actually a Jurassic franchise film? Sure. A- absolutely. I think it's worth pointing out the second Jurassic Park film was not called Jurassic Park 2. It was called The Lost World. Mm. Oh, I didn't That's know that point. actually. Boom. Okay, so then that that opens up the possibilities. Let's see. What what? I don't know. Usually, I'm really good at this part, but I'm I'm kind of drawing a blank. The land after time. Oh, done. It's it. <laughs> That's it. Hold your applause. Hold That's your it. applause. <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> That's it. That's it. It's done. I already. I already actually already made the poster. <laughs> Great. Amazing. So they've already All printed right. it. We can't go back. <laughs> All right, Peter. Let me let me uh, let me let me wind up the old the old algorithm for you. Let's see if uh, you can give me a boop 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 uh, Batman story oh. in the heist genre. But uh, <laughs> the the studio execs did a little focus testing, and they're finding that it's actually uh, we're, we're about to hit a second golden age of found footage, and they really want to ride that wave. So you could fi- could you could you find us an angle for a Batman story, Batman heist story? That's found footage. Oh, man. I thought mine was hard. I mean, hell yeah. I, I already have it. I already have it. Here we go. Okay? Check this out. Uh-huh. You know, Batman's always been a bit of an outlaw, right? He's always on the other side of the law. So what is the ultimate heist for him? He has to break into the unbreakable. Okay? So he has to break into Arkham Asylum to get to some uh, MacGuffin that's in there. Like, one of the criminals has some device or something that's embedded in their body. You know, like a, a codes to nuclear weapons or, or like a bomb that's going to blow up the city or whatever, right? Mm. So, like, not only is he going inside to face down the worst of the worst, but also the guards as well, right? So, you have the first tertiary layer is him just going up against the guards themselves. And then, on top of that, you're, like, going through the rogues gallery. So, each and every single sequence is just another terrible thing that's worse than you've ever seen before. So, you have not only do you have the security camera footage, right? from the actual asylum. But then you could also play around a bit, like maybe Robin, Nightwing is there, the guards, they all have their their phones on them, so it's a little bit of a chronicle element to it, you know? And it's just the bat himself is a terror, right? He plays around in the shadows, so you never quite know what's going on throughout the film. You play up with the shadow, you play up with darkness. It's it's a horror movie more than anything else. It's a horror heist movie. We're, We're crossing genres here. Interesting. Could I could I throw an angle at you? 
Cause I, I, Please. when you said horror movie that that really struck something with me because I, I remember like in uh like batman v superman they they play that up almost exactly that batman's like a, a monstrous character to these criminals yes. right yes what if the the protagonist or at least the pov is not batman but someone that batman is hunting so it's almost oh, like yeah. a monster movie like a like a cloverfield-esque sort of found footage movie yeah where the the POV character is being actively hunted by Batman, who is I love it terrifying. I absolutely love it. That's fantastic. But then also you play with like a bit of the psycho element, right? Where you think you're with one character who half the movie, and then you flip it to where you realize like Batman's maybe your protagonist in this film, right? Mm. I I like the angle that you threw of like blending different camera sources. I yeah. think it might be interesting to to potentially set this up in an era like a Batman Year One sort of situation where Batman is not really known by law enforcement, so he he is sure. kind of running uh, very uh, counter to to law enforcement efforts, and so mm-hmm. this uh, the the framing for this film, this found footage film, is essentially a collection of footage taken from you know cell phones, security camera footage, uh, things of that nature, you know dash cam footage, things like that. That are sort of uh, yeah. trying to piece together what the hell this character is like. What is the Batman, and what is he after? And it's sort of like assembled, like a almost like a police report sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Of this is the night of all the footage we could collect on on this so called Batman. What is he after? I love it. Yeah, and it's uh, what's so great too. You think about all of, all of Batman villains. You know, you have Poison Ivy, you have Clayface, you have even you know obviously the Joker. But you have these characters who are often played light but you could think about how dark those characters could really go right you know poison ivy that she can just manipulate the root systems of plants and they can just envelop you in a very creepy sort of tendril like way right Clayface can just absorb into you become anyone the thane element comes into play there right so mm. you could have so much fun with the horror element the heist element of course comes from the, the prison itself you know having to get through these various layers of things that are designed not to be not to be broken into you know, not to be broken out of, right? So it becomes such a, uh, you know, such a difficult task to, to be able to do that. I, I'm really feeling this idea. I'd love if we could identify what that MacGuffin is, or at least the mechanic mm. for which either the POV or the Batman or and or are, are breaking into this uh, facility for. I'm very intrigued by that. Can I uh, mm. maybe throw something in there that like like maybe a little wrench in that might that might present some interesting storytelling possibilities there? Please do. Uh, so, well, first I want to say I, another thing I really like about this is it reminds me a little of the Arkham Asylum uh, video game where sure. where he's where he's kind of sort of oh, having yeah, to break sure, sure, sure. break in because Joker takes over it. So I, I kind of like that. I love that that premise in that game, and I think it's played out really well. So that that feels really fun here. Um, I was also kind of when you guys were talking about the the sort of found footage angle and stuff like that, and presented like a police report. It, it gave me some mental images of like like True Detective, kind of first season, where where you're you're getting those interviews with the McConaughey and Woody Harrelson characters, and we're mm-hmm. like learning about the events that transpired. Ten, you know, like I think that'd be kind of a cool way to break up the movie into chunks so just, just just two things i was thinking of while we were um while you guys were talking but the as far as the MacGuffin goes something i thought was kind of interesting is is batman is almost i i, I can't think of a batman story off the top of my head doesn't mean there isn't one but i just can't think of one prominently that has him having to team up necessarily with with a, a villain so so it might be interesting if whatever the MacGuffin is like if we could find a way that he has to like team up with joker or like they they're after the same mm-hmm. thing and and their interests align in in a way that they both agree to sort of like uh work together i guess for for a period of time to sort of get in and then they're like we're gonna deal with each other later but for the time being we gotta get through like they both have a common enemy and like the police or whatever whoever is whatever is causing the problem but that that was sort of the like maybe the little wrench I want to throw in is like, is there an angle where we can, where we can team him up with a villain? Hmm. I like that idea that, uh, that was thrown out of potentially switching POV almost midway through not, maybe not POV, but at least flipping the kind of narrative structure of it. What mm-hmm. if for the first half of the film, we're following an actual heist crew, like uh, criminals essentially that are breaking into Arkham for some, specific purpose for some strange i don't know they're trying to steal something from arkham that's that's uh, being held there and then during the course of that something goes horribly wrong and all of the criminals in arkham get released or, or whatnot you know arkham asylum sort of situation 
And it's at uh-huh. that point where where Batman, who's been hunting them and trying to stop them up until this point, uh, they essentially kind of team up and have to to help him to to put down whatever is going on. Maybe they were tricked into breaking into Arkham by you know under Ooh. under false pretenses, and if it accidentally allowed this uh, breakout to occur, and Batman was trying to stop them and and not being able to stop them in time, now they have to sort of work together, and they're they're getting you know this heist crew during the course of it is getting picked off one by one by all these uh iconic dc villains you know in, in a yeah in a very horror kind of framing and you know this really sounds just one like... person left with their camera and and batman who, who have to stop this it sounds amazing i love this it, you know what it really sounds like it sounds like this is a batman uh meets suicide squad movie more than anything. oh yeah it kind of does uh, yeah, yeah. that's actually funny you say that because i was i was just thinking when you said um like a like a heist team or something uh what if what if the Joker has put together a crew to do something and he gets like his his crew turns on him essentially and and Harley is concerned for his well-being and Batman wants to break in to stop whatever it is that that crew is doing and so their interests semi align and Batman knows he can't do it alone so him and Harley team up and we kind of get like a fun we get a fun team up there and, and that might tie into maybe the two is like Batman teaming up the suicide squad angle. Sure. I, I don't hate the idea of, of using Harley for the sole reason that I feel like out of any character I can think of in the current DC cinematic pantheon, she would be the one to carry a camera into a high situation. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Like her, like her doing selfies and stuff in the, in fights. Oh man. There's a lot of like fun visual opportunities there. Oh, yeah. I, I do really like the framing, though, of this um, kind of uh, uh, police uh, report, sort of uh, different video sources from around Arkham and for different camera sources, like kind of stitching together this uh, Batman story. We could potentially even play with time a little bit and, and give pieces here and there to kind of get the big picture by the end of it. But uh, I, I think well, what's really selling me is this concept of uh, an unknown kind of Batman force. Like, yes. If this is the first time the cops are encountering Batman, uh, this is uh, probably a terrifying sort of... Uh, horror horror ordeal for everyone involved and to kind of just see him presented as the monster in a found footage movie is is very intriguing to me yeah i love that i your year one idea is fantastic i'm I'm all for it and i think you get some really fun uh opportunities to blend the the sort of horror batman like like i think the the fact that it is found footage and probably like cell phone footage or security cam footage i think it opens up some interesting visual opportunities to sort of like almost almost do a little Easter egg to the, you, you know, a lot of Batman fans are always sort of like, give us the Batman with the white glowing eyes, you know, like the animated series Batman. And and they've sort of done little things here and there, like in the Dark Knight when he does this sort of uh, X-ray vision thing. And in the, in the end, that was kind of like a little nod to that. But um, by and large, and, and maybe BBS when he's wearing the, 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 what do you call it, the mechanical suit, he's kind of got the glowing eyes. But it'd be interesting to play with like if he is, using darkness and fear in this environment very effectively he would maybe have some sort of similarly like like a like a glowing eye sort of effect but viewed through the lens of a of a shitty cell phone camera the way bad cell phone cameras kind of like distort light and create weird lens flares and things like that i think you could have some really creepy sort of like um like 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 dog's eyes in the dark or cat's eyes in the dark yes. uh visuals that could really really lend to this to this sort of very, very, very terrifying force of nature that that goes beyond, uh, uh, it's like the myth beyond the man in in a sense. That's fun. It's cool, man. Any any noodling on a potential title could be a working title. Mm. I feel like I don't want it to have the word Batman in it. Mm. Like like Arkham Knights or Arkham Archives or or something something along those lines is interesting to me or or maybe it's I like Arkham Archives in the sense that it sounds like a series title for a series of these found footage style right kind of explorations of the DC universe mm. what about uh the Arkham Files oh, oh man dang. <laughs> that just that just sent me oh, to a different planet. I love that. <laughs> the Arkham Files. 
I apologize. just did a little bow there, if anyone, for the listeners at home. <laughs> just picture That's Peter phenomenal. bowing, everyone, please. It's very important. <laughs> the Arkham Files. Man, that I, is I so good. I love the feel that you could do like 10 of these and explore just different yes. facets of, of the DC universe through the lens of this very, you know, uh, down-to-earth kind of found footage style of of the, the you know, Gotham City PD essentially like stitching together uh, all of these bits of footage of this... Uh, recent uh, wave of, of both vigilantism and, and uh, you know, super criminalism and, and, and kind of uh, seeing it from the ground level as, as it's all coming together. Oh, man. Can I, mm-hmm. can I pitch you like three of them right now? Because they all just popped into my head. <laughs> please, um, please. Okay, so you've got... So this one is like the Batman sort of breaking in heist angle. That's, that's fun. Another Arkham Files is stitched together the timeline of the Joker Harley relationship. Her, her, like we get a lot of first person, her talking to the camera, recording her notes and her sort of video diary as she sort of descends. There's actually a really great uh, graphic novel that came out called Harleen. It's like a three part miniseries that, that, kind of has this perspective where it's all like narrated by Harley and it's very much just about the the psychology aspect of of how he turned her and how their relationship began so I feel like using elements Mm. of that to we've never seen that story I mean Suicide Squad the first Suicide Squad hinted at it and we we got some like Mm -hmm. you know imagery and and stuff like that I think there were deleted scenes of of like her as a as a proper psychologist but it'd be really cool to see that on screen and this feels like the perfect place to do that. So that would be one. Uh, you could do another one that's a that's a like a drug slash uh, like a like a police sting operation for a drug ring concept for Bane, like 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 Ven- Venom, nice. you know, is is being produced, and uh, Bane is incorporated in, in in the sense that he's running this underground drug ring, and we follow a couple cops who are trying to bust that and doing a sting operation, and then another one awesome. could be. Um, could be sort of something involved in the sewers with Killer Croc. Like you could do sort of like another oh, uh, yes. really good. detective mystery movie. I mean, I mean, like literally, you could just go down the rogues gallery. I'm sure there's something with Mister Freeze that would like a like a science horror movie, sure. like a body horror science uh, movie with Mister Freeze. Man, this is like oh yeah, like a, like a the fly but found footage. Yep. You know, is uh, yes watching his, his body shut down and transform. Actually, I, I like the idea of maybe doing a, a kind of saw inspired uh, take on the Riddler where where like someone oh, yeah. has uh, stumbled upon, you know, a, a strange dark web kind of uh, sight thing and, and gets roped into this uh, horrific game of cat and mouse where they have to survive these terrible trials by the Riddler. This, yes. is, this is actually I definitely like... want. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, please. I was just gonna say it's it's actually kind of backing like the the I mean they they don't all have to necessarily be found footage but like the the Mr. Freeze one in particular like that's kind of worming its way towards a Joker you know like a prestige villain focused film hmm. and Mr. Freeze would be, I mean you, you win an Oscar for that like you know Brian Cranston playing Mr. Freeze and having that whole <laughs> doomed love story and uh-huh. science that's you win the if Joaquin Phoenix wins the Oscar for Joker, uh, uh, Brian Cranston wins the Oscar for Freeze. I like it. I'm sure. sure. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I would love a, a Poison Ivy one too. Like you do it in the woods, right? Ooh. It's like a, a Friday the Thirteenth style just horror movie in the woods with Poison Ivy as as the center lead there, and it would be oh, man. Yeah. It's Peter, like and uh, the, it's like the, a Blair Witch meets, uh, meets oh yeah, Eco Blair horror Witch. sort of thing. <laughs> that's, Blair that's Witch would be better. The, the better version, but. Uh, What's great about the found footage concept, though, is it could be done very low budget. Like these do not have to be two hundred million dollar features. You know, they could be under fifty easily. Sure. This is the this is the Blumhouse take on uh, the DC universe. Exactly. Oh my God! Give DC, it to Blumhouse. You have, you have our number. <laughs> this is n- like no joke, Peter. You broke this wide. I mean, my brain is just firing on all cylinders thinking about the possibilities okay. of this of this universe. And what's what's crazy is like when you said the Arkham Files, I saw the. Lo- like mm-hmm. I saw the title treatment. Like it, it was so visceral in my head. The the title yes. treatment and the logo. Same, same. It's uh. So we're writing this, right? This is happening. <laughs> I, I'm like, I would legitimately be interested in taking a stab at a freeze script. Yeah. I mean, like all, all of them. On, let's uh. We're gonna we're gonna hammer at this all night. I I, I think <laughs> at the very least, I think we maybe devote a later episode fully to sort of fleshing out what that freeze movie could look like, or or any of the concepts. But for some reason, sure. I'm just really drawn to that freeze one for sure. I'm all for uh, it. I'm all for I it. mean, at some point, I'd love to take an Overwatch crack at this, where we do map out uh, kind of a, an entire phase one, so to speak, of what an Arkham Files uh, series could look like. Oh, we should do that. Yeah, yeah, we fun. should. That, we should fun. definitely make that a future episode. 
Amazing. Um, cool. Then let do. I think we can jump into to our last uh, topic, at least for this episode. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hit that button and engage that. What what did, what did you call it? The the movie algorithm. Our our patented, patented. trademark copywritten 2020. <laughs> let's write uh, uh, movie algorithm generator 2000. That's the official title. Um, Trademarked. <laughs> already already have a logo treatment in the works. Um, so I'm gonna boop boop boop. And uh, uh, Ryan, my friend, your pitch or pitch me, pitch us a MCU disaster movie and make it an anthology. Okay, so so I'm going to start with the genre because I feel like that's that's where this is really going off the rails. Because to to me, when when disaster movie is thrown around, we're we're thinking like we're not thinking like Thanos or, or aliens or something. We're thinking like natural disasters, right? Am I am I with you there in terms of sure. what the parameters of a disaster movie are? Something like an earthquake or a tornado or a tsunami or something. Um, so I'm I'm interested in that because right off the bat, I I think it's unique in that we've never really seen a superhero movie where they're doing what we would consider normal heroics, you know, disaster relief or or saving people from a fire or something like that. that sure. It, that if if anything that's like the background filler to set up the stakes of the story or to introduce the hero uh, I, I think it'd be very interesting to see essentially like if in in a in in uh, the world of the mcu or in a world where superheroes exist and there is a a catastrophic earthquake or there is a catastrophic tsunami or, or you know uh, some kind of natural disaster that that puts uh, millions of lives at risk like what 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 does a captain america do in that situation you know I can't imagine that in that sort of universe that the Avengers are only called in when aliens pop up, right? Sure. Because even within the confines of that universe, that's only like a once in every couple of years sort of thing, which is frequent. In fairness, that's that's pretty frequent uh, alien invasion rate. Right, but uh, what, what are they doing in between then? You know, you have so much technology, you have so much funding, you have these helicarriers during the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. era, you have, you know, thousands and thousands of personnel supporting these heroes. W- what are they up to in between then? And I think it could be really interesting to see that from the perspective of a world-changing event. You know, maybe it's a maybe it's an asteroid collision that that uh, you know is going to put um, you know uh, Armageddon or Deep Impact sort of situation that's going to potentially uh, create a, a you know a, a catastrophic event that could kill billions. And and how do how do superheroes fit into that picture when when there isn't something that that needs to be punched? You know, when there isn't a a, a villain with a face who you can beat, but the 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 villain, the the situation, the obstacle is in fact saving as many lives as you can from from something that's outside of your control. Mm. As as far as the anthology aspect of it, uh, I would set it up as essentially there is one massive event. So like let's say it's an earthquake, or let's say it's uh, it's a asteroid collision, uh, and we we set it up as sort of um, either a series of shorts in a, in a feature length setting or a series of episodes in a miniseries setting, where you're you're seeing aspects of the the uh, immediate aftermath and the recovery process from the pov of uh victims or people endangered by that event who are interacting with one particular hero so in this earthquake earthquake scenario what was captain america doing who was he saving what challenges was he facing what was someone like uh nick fury doing you know what was someone like hawkeye doing during this uh during this all hands on deck moment and you're getting the perspective of these uh, very, very human, not superhero people trying to survive this disaster and, and crossing paths with a very specific hero in each of these uh, anthology installments. Mm. I like that a lot. That's very cool. It, um, it kind of has some, it kind of touches on a couple things for me. Like, it reminds me of, um, there's, this, there's this Spider-Man comic panel that they did post 9-11 where it's like Spider-Man... Uh, kind of witnessing yes. the destruction of 9-11 and then getting involved in the rescue efforts and assisting the firefighters and sort of like like it, it it feels kind of grounded in that way which which i think is really like it has the opportunity i think actually to be a very emotional movie and and very and a very like human movie you know it's not we're not dealing with thanos uh, collecting cosmic gems and not that there's not drama and emotion there but it just feels very human in a way that and and small and intimate in a way that i don't think we've seen before 
Yeah, I, I think it could be interesting in a sense of um, I, I think one of the issues that the MCU in particular, but really any any kind of superhero universe, um, you know, whether it's the DC one or X Men or Spider Man or, or whatever it is, anytime you do one of these uh, bigger ensembles, it's it's a little bit difficult to kind of normalize the power level of all of the heroes involved. You're always going to sure. run to situations where you're like, why is why is Hawkeye here? You know, when when Thor and Captain America and, and <laughs> Iron Man and stuff are, are fighting this battle, like he's he's clearly underprepared for punching someone in the face like these other heroes could and you don't really get to to see a a an angle of them that that is beyond their powers you know they kind of just shoehorn in ways for hawkeye to shoot things or for black widow to to uh do some acrobatics or something like that but i'd love to see the angle of what makes these uh superheroes so super is the fact that they've been through the fire of of so many of these missions and that they have a sort of experience in dealing with crisis that a, a normal person wouldn't so it's not about their superpowers necessarily it's not about their combat skills but it's about their ability to think on their feet and to be uh, creative and intelligent during a disaster scenario and and uh, i think that could really be put to work in in saving lives in in terms of the world of this movie yeah and i i completely agree with your impulse here to to bring it to more of a, a personal level as well it's it's your these heroes are interacting with the people that they're saving in a in a very tangible way you know and that's uh something that you can often get lost in in the in the jumble of you know intergalactic crises you know it's it's the focus on the smaller things right and and the remembering um why they are saving the people that they are saving right you know why it's important right so like uh, I just have this memory of watching the Spider-Man animated series from the nineties. And there's this episode where Spider-Man has to just, you know, he, she, he saves this girl from not even a real thing, but just a very little thing. And, and he, and she's like this huge Spider-Man fan and all she's ever wanted. It was basically a make a wish episode, right? It was that all she ever wanted was to meet Spider-Man. And so he takes the day to do that. And, that is his goal, that is his mission. And he reminds him about his own humanity there. And I think you could have a sort of strong emotional arc for one of these heroes of like being reminded of why he is fighting, you know? Sure. Ooh, I like that a lot. I, one moment that I did really like from um, the uh, the most recent Justice League movie is that line that, uh, or that exchange that um, Batman and the Flash have where, you know, Flash is uh, having, he's essentially on his first mission, I guess, or his first scenario, combat scenario, and he's panicking. And he's like, I can't, you know, I can't save everyone. And Batman just says, save one, just save one. And I think that that idea of, you know, it, it's not about saving the world. It's not about, it's not always about stopping the intergalactic world ending threat. But as a hero, sometimes it's just about saving the person who's in front of you, I think uh, can really resonate in an interesting way. And, 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 you know, I think you're right in the sense of these giant, you know, galactic conflicts. A lot of the, the actual drama and the actual, um, dramatic stakes of it get lost in the sense of you're like okay you know five billion people died it, it that's just a number at that point but when you can really focus in on one person's situation and say like you know hawkeye or black widow or whoever they save one person in this scenario i think that is a very human story with very dramatic stakes that that you can immediately latch onto and, and uh, feel feels very very evocative to me and um i i think what what i like about it is it opens up the door to have some of these conversations, like if, if if the beginning of Age of Ultron, that sort of like great set piece is the Avengers firing on all cylinders and like, you know, just kicking ass as a team. I love that the I love the way that the opening of Civil War kind of plays the opposite, where it's that, you know, mission where they very, very distinctly fail uh, to not not only to save people, but actively are perhaps a cause of of the deaths of a lot of people. And I love the one of my favorites in that movie is the conversation that Cap has with with Wanda afterwards in her room where she's watching the TV and they're, they're, the news coverage is, you know, uh, saying all sorts of bad things about her. And he comes in and he's, he has that line, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, you know, we try to save as many people as we can and sometimes we don't get them all. And so it's like, it, I love that this movie, I think, would would afford the opportunity to do a lot of those types of scenes where we really get to see the characters discussing, you know, what it means to save people and what happens if you can't or you can't um, save everyone. And, and, visually it also reminds me a little bit of the end of age of Ultron. I think that's, it, it feels grounded in that and it doesn't feel like too much of a leap given that a lot of the end of, of age of Ultron was um, just like if you, other than the fighting the robots part was, was there was a lot of time devoted to them 
escorting refugees onto the helicarriers and like facilitating the process of evacuating the city as it was rising into the sky, you know? Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that much of a leap out of what the MCU already is established and, and, and already is, you know? Well, and you know, this not to, let me, I'll pitch something here. That's a bit left field. Maybe this makes it a different movie. So I, maybe I shouldn't even pitch it, but, um, what if the, the, not necessarily enemy, but the, the antagonist, the pushing force in this film, you know, this, that the disaster is, is, uh, it's it's the big thing it's the set piece you know it's it's the 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 catalyst for the whole movie but what if the end act is a hero who could save everyone but chooses not to right and then it becomes like human forces or even the heroes themselves like becoming so angry that they start going after this this hero who's choosing not to save everyone because this this hero has some idea of like you know it's the notion of like firefighters who are let a let a forest burn because that's the natural order of things right so this hero is another level he's a uh Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange isn't the right one, but he's like the Doctor Strange type of person who is just on a different plane of existence, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. And so then. Uh, human forces or even uh, even members of the Avengers themselves become so disillusioned from all the death that they're seeing that they they go after this hero. Not in a big way, but maybe just in a very small kind of assassination sort of way. And it becomes trying to, you know, it's that philosophical conundrum, right? If like, are they right? Are they wrong? You know, how do you how do you decide? Honestly, I could I could see sort of a uh, T'Challa, you know, like political pressure and, uh, you know, cultural pressure maybe a natural disaster happens and, and for whatever reason he's because because a big part of the black panther movie was was being sort of like well like do we intervene do we offer help or not i mean they already had the wakanda already has demonstrated yep. history of being despite having i mean that's like the central thrust of that movie is like you have all these tools and you don't help people you don't help our people so like it's not too much of a leap for me to to see for whatever reason, whether political reasons or cultural reasons or whatever, that that he might not get involved in the rest of the heroes being like, how could you, how could you not? And then having them having an ideological disagreement over those things. I think if you're going that angle, I could see that character being the linchpin for that. Mm-hmm. Let let me let me spin it in a in an alternate direction and let me know if this uh, if you feel any of this. Let's say that the does that the main disaster is is a kind of deep impact Armageddon style asteroid that's going to wipe out uh, nearly all life on the Earth, and it's something that the our, our you know core group of heroes through these uh, different um, you know whoever the, the the central characters of these anthology installments are are probably going to be unable to to actually stop. Um, but there is this kind of a mysterious uh, a super being, whatever character that ends up being, who could potentially have the power to stop it and won't because they feel like it's the natural course or, or it's the best course for for Earth to be reset or you know whatever kind of a cliched reason that, that they would have for that. And then during the course of the story, the impetus for the story is that as this asteroid is approaching, you know, like smaller asteroids or, or splinters of this giant asteroid are like still raining down on the planet. And despite this doomsday kind of scenario, in, in a couple of weeks, the world is going to end. We still see that our, our heroes are, are still willing to kind of step into the line of danger and, and save the people they can and still are, are, you know, unable to kind of give up and to... Uh, resign themselves to to the fate of uh, uh, you know allowing the world to burn, and are still working to do their best to to just save as many as they can in, in whatever way they can. And during the course of this story, we learn that the framing device is actually each of these anthology installments is this super being who is kind of in like a cue from Star Trek scenario, uh, oh nice, analyzing and evaluating humanity through each of these stories, and by the end of it, decides that humanity is worth preserving. And that uh, uh, stops the the bigger disaster from happening at the end of the film. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. That's so fun. That's fun. I love it. It's great. Fantastic. Can you? Uh, do you have a title? Man, the the first word that came to me was crisis, but that's such an iconic DC word. I feel like we can't can't get involved there. <laughs> What's a somebody just hit a dictionary dot com real quick and go crisis synonyms. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I like the fact because it, it is an anthology like to do something like the Arkham Files where it's maybe just a, an evocative of a collection so maybe just call it like heroes or something of that nature to just uh, mm. evoke the idea that this is a collection of stories of, of various uh, 
various uh, facets of the of the overall story. How, mm-hmm. how does the word cataclysm strike you? It's a little ostentatious, but I don't hate it. <laughs> it's a little comic booky. It is definitely comic booky. I could definitely see it as a as a comic book event title. Cataclysm, Marvel, uh, Marvel MCU cataclysm. No, 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 that's stupid. I could see Mar- Marvel's Marvel's cataclysm. Marvel's cataclysm. Yeah. What about like because because we are sort of dealing with um, an apocalyptic scenario where where the fate of humanity is is hanging in the balance. If we evoked some kind of like biblical imagery there, and we called it like mm. revelations or something like that um, to evoke the sort of end times idea. Oh, that's where, cool. Whether that's humanity cool. will find salvation or not, so something along those lines. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I like that. I think I think both those things feel very like comic book eventy to me. The the book of Thor. <laughs> book of Thor. <laughs> That's a different anthology where we see oh, each of the, oh, the different versions oh. of Thor, and we get a we get a whole movie just on Frog Thor. That's <laughs> what we've all been waiting for. <laughs> That's great, though. I think that's a that's a fun concept. I feel like that's that. I feel like they could do that. That feels very organic and natural to how they've already set up the universe, and definitely feels like. I mean, it feels like it could probably be a Disney Plus series, like one one of the Disney Plus series, like for sure. Yes, absolutely. Do you think we have time for one more? I think we're running a little tight, but but uh, you know, it's the conversation is is flowing. So I guess let's give it a shot. This is a special occasion. We got Peter here. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's do one oh, more. You. We didn't thank have you. a chance to dig into our uh, our hard concept deck. This is a, a deck of uh, ideas um, that are submitted by our community. Um, kind of high concept, uh, fully packaged ideas that we can develop into larger stories. If you'd like to submit an idea of your own, just hit us up on social media, uh, Twitter preferred, but really any of the platforms, and uh, give us a line, and and you might see your idea in an upcoming episode. Uh, Julian or Peter, do you want to jump into this one? Uh, this idea is a mysterious live stream shows the future. What does that evoke for you? Where can we go with that? A mysterious live stream shows the future. So I'm I'm thinking this is kind of timely in a way, in the sense of with the live streaming just being such a big part of our culture, especially during the pandemic. Um, you know, of, of just this idea of being connected to each other through live video. Of what mm-hmm. that would mean in the culture if we just threw out there like on Twitch one day, this weird uh, you know uh, video channel with zero subscribers just starts up and is showing maybe like realistic footage, like what looks like actual camera footage of events that haven't happened yet, and then a couple of days later they happen. What, what uh, would that do, Julian? I, I have an idea, but this is your show. No, so no, no, go, man, go, go, go. Jump in. Uh, it feels like a horror movie. It feels like the classic, uh, the live stream is is somehow connected to a serial killer who is hunting people in a city during quarantine, right? Oh. So we cannot leave our homes. We are encouraged not to leave our homes. The video feed is actually tied into our Zoom chats, right? But it's the Zoom chats of the future, okay? So that becomes then, we see it on this channel and... Maybe it's a detective. Uh, maybe it's somehow tied in with a family member. So it's like, you know, rather than being a detective, it's like it's a it's a person in quarantine, and they are, you know, the serial killer is going after this family. So that that you have to come up with the you know like the emotional j- core for like why they care about these killings, but um, something in those in that vein, like a serial killer uh, horror movie. I, I love the angle of the uh, investigator or the detective or whatever that might be. So I feel like yeah. the, the most intriguing response to this, it wouldn't be the typical kind of horror movie concept where it's like a bunch of kids or something who are now dealing with this. But it would be like, if if this is certifiably showing things that appear to be the future, people with brains and acumen are going to be investigating this and trying to get to the bottom mm-hmm. of this and figure out what is actually happening here. And so I love the idea of, of following that angle of someone who we can see the larger impact on the culture outside of it, but one or two people who are actively trying to get to the bottom of this through using the tools they have to figure out what this channel actually is and what it's actually showing. Yes. That's cool. Yeah, that's fun. It feels like it has elements of psychological horror. Like to me, it feels like... um feels a little bit like muted horror, like not not jump scare necessarily or like 
camp horror. Like it feels very, very much uh, like horror from a simple mundane thing, you know, like the, the existential terror that comes from something that on the surface feels very simple. And, and that's often the most scary mm-hmm. stuff for me personally. Like I'm as an adult, I'm no, I'm not as scared of like, Oh, it's a ghost or it's a spirit or a serial killer. You know, like it, what, what terrifies me is something like, um, I mean, I don't know if anybody here has read house of leaves, which is a great book that Ryan recommended to me last year, but the, the, like, I mean, I'm way oversimplifying here, but just like a simple premise of like, the house is larger inside the measurement of the house is larger inside than outside. And there's a hallway that's like physically impossible by the laws of space and time. It's impossible for this hallway to exist in this house when measured from the outside versus the inside. And it's like such a simple concept and doesn't feel like scary, so to speak, but the way that it just messes with the characters minds and lives become so just like uh i mean soul chillingly terrifying and so that, that's what this kind of feels like to me like, like a very monday it's just it's just a stream that's running and just the way that it starts to destroy people's lives and mess with their existence feels like like, like i'm getting kind of like a tingle in my spine thinking about it because it feels very very so, very scary i think there's mm-hmm. sort of two ways we could go about this then in taking that kind of a horror or psychological horror angle we could do immediate events so it's like a a race against time kind of a seven or saw sort of situation where there's it feels like an active kind of killer who is showing these events that are going to happen and so they're racing to stop these these murders from happening or we could take a a little bit more of a cerebral approach maybe go like leftover style and and take a look at the larger Mm. impact this would have on people sure so what if what if uh, in a potential alternate take we we set up that this live stream is showing events from the future and at first it's showing events that are like minutes in the future so no one notices it and then it's showing things that are hours in the future and then days in the future and as more important people are catching on to it eventually it shows something that happens in 10 years or something uh, a, a very important event um, and then the channel goes offline and that's the last thing it shows but having now verified the accuracy of these predictions or, or what you know is, is more than predictions is actual footage of the event we as a society now have to reconcile that we know what is going to happen in 10 years. Does, what does that mean for our free will? What does that mean for our society? Can we change things? Mm-hmm. Can we not change things? Do you live to try to change things? Do you live to try to accept what that future is going to be? Uh, I, I think it could be really interesting to sort of explore that angle of like the larger societal construct around, you know, if you know what's going to happen in 10 years, like how does that affect your today, if, if at all? Yeah. That's very interesting. Like one of the elements, you know, to be honest, I wasn't a huge fan of Interstellar. I know a lot of people love that movie, but the one element that I really did like was how they played around with time a bit and how you see the, uh, who is it? Jessica, Jessica Chastain, right? Like you see that, that his daughter, you see his daughter just aging 70 years in a period of just a few minutes of video communications. Right. And just that emotional gut punch that, is was very unexpected and, and very fresh in a way because I, I don't think I'd ever seen that before. So being able to play with that in an odd way, like you have, you know, a, a husband learns his wife is going to cheat on him in five years, right? Like, how does how do you wrap your head around that? What do you do with that? You know, how, what can that make you do? Right? Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, that's if, uh, if you know, th- that a lot of these events that they're showing are more mundane events. You know, the things that you wouldn't think would affect you emotionally or psychologically, but having seen them, that knowing that they're going to happen, what does that, what effect does that have on your psyche? I mean, if, if someone told me like, and, and with 100% accuracy, they knew for a fact that, uh, you know, tomorrow I was going to stub my toe on, on the door getting out of bed, like that, that you wouldn't think that would have an impact on me. But I feel like that's all I would think about between now and tomorrow morning, even though, you know, that's a, it's a it's a minor blip in, in the ocean of, of what my life will actually be that that suddenly becomes the only thing that matters. Cause that's the only thing I'm sure about. I think that's the, that's the, Absolutely. that's the thing that, that I'm really keying into is the, the, that, that sort of terror that comes with like just a, just a tiny change to the status quo, a little, little adjustment and how much that rip that, that trickles down and snowballs into a, a massive effect on people's minds and lives. You know, like I think that's, <laughs> The, the the ramifications are, are really interesting and and but but like I, I'm also very interested in the sort of like 
more pulpy, fun version of this idea uh, that that Peter was initially pitching of the the serial killer and quarantine angle. Like that, that also is very sort of engaged, like through the live stream angle. Like that's very engaging to me. And, and funny enough, I I have two titles, one for each version of this <laughs> concept, <laughs> one for like the awesome. campy horror version, and one for the more serious. Um, maybe cerebral horror. So, so you guys are going to hate me and fire me immediately, but for the <laughs> serial killer, one, the, uh, the title is live scream. <laughs> I don't hate that. Yeah. That perfectly captures what this film it's is. It's amazing. So I looked it up and there is a movie from 2018 called live scream, but it appears to be like a very small, low budget film. So I think we could get away with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then the other, so that, so this it. is where I'm a little bit less confident in these other two titles, but I kind of liked, uh, so you could either do like a lot, just the word alive, but the title treatment would have like the, 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 the live part would be like in red or something like, you know, just, just an interesting sort of visual, uh, treatment to that or, or on live. Mm-hmm. So like on, like a play on like online, but, but like live, like on live would be kind of interesting too. Just something more like abstract and esoteric a little bit. Hmm. I don't. I don't hate that. I, I, I. What if we went with like that same angle of of you know, essentially uh, uh, repurposing um, live streaming kind of language to to give it an alternate meaning, and we went with something like uh, related to casting. You know, like uh, live casting, because I, I like the the alternate meaning there of like casting a line or throwing something out there into mm. into something beyond. You know, like when you cast a line into the into the ocean or into a lake to, to fish, uh, you know, you, you don't really know where it's going to take you, but you're connected to that moment, you know, in the future, sort of, you know, there's a line that attaches you to that unknown possibility. And I think that 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 to me is, is kind of interesting sort of wordplay that might um, might be able to build something out of. <laughs> okay, well, if that's, that's cool, if that's where you want to go, I have the I have the uh, pulpy title again. But the play on on forecast. You're gonna beat live scream? I don't think so. I, I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that's possible. I don't. I don't know if I'm gonna beat it. I'm not even sure what the scale is anymore that we're we're using for compare for for qualitative analysis. But uh, Gorecast would be that that title. <laughs> so I'll I'll resign now, and uh, Peter, you can take my spot permanently as the co-host. And um, oh great, great, it's about time. We'll just go from there. My evil plan has come true. It's wonderful. <laughs> Uh, I do have a a pitch for the uh, cerebral title, though. Please hit it. All right. Future tense. Oh. Like past tense tense and present tense, but future tense. That, like, really, it, for, for whatever reason, it, it really reminds me of like a, a title structure or or at least evoking kind of the feel of like a classic Asimov or like Bradbury sci-fi short. Yes. You know, something from like yeah, the, the Illustrated yeah, Man point. or something like that, exploring this. And that, that feels so perfect for it uh, to just like kind of evoke that that uh, that really high concept uh, exploration of, of thought and, and our place in the universe. And I, I think what, what I really like about that specific title you know that uh, future tense is that it it really captures what the series would be about in that if you know the future you kind of start stop living in the present you know you, mm-hmm. you, you're almost like unanchored from the present and you start to live in the future and what does that mean for for you know you as a human being like that that's not how we were designed biologically to to live to understand things to to emotionally uh, reflect on things and i think that that's really interesting you know if almost like people become addicted to this channel or, or they become addicted yep. to the idea of just focusing in on the the things that they know to be true or know to be happening in the future and they stop mm-hmm. living in the present and they become unmoored from it what does that mean for society when when so many of us are living in the future tense well let me let me pitch you on let me just plus that last part of that sentence, which was people living in future tense. Like, what if this isn't a live stream? What if this is an actual Zoom call? So you can actually have conversations with the your future loved ones, right? Oh, man. And so then you become so obsessed with those future versions of yourself that you forget to live even in the now. Like you're talking more to your future wife than you are to your current wife. Oh. <laughs> and, and then she's just like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> but, 
That's interesting. Because then I, I feel like it's it's not quite the same concept, but you're exploring kind of an right. adjacent issue, a parallel issue of like the the way we create more ideal versions of the world in our heads. Yes. And I think exactly. do things like, uh, you know, not to get cliche about it, but, you know, do things like fiction and video games and, and uh, you know, even something as simple as like daydreaming. It's a very human tendency to want to live in a version of the world that's in our head rather than the, the version of the world that we have in front of us. And I think that that's a really tangible way to explore that in a very, I feel like kind of Bradbury short story way of exploring that and, and turning it very literal. And people are mm. actually now living in those ideal worlds and, and you know, be, becoming uh, unmoored or, or dis- detached from the actual physical world that they need to be in. Yeah. You know, it's crazy is th- th- like we could shoot this. Mo- I mean, this is shootable in quarantine currently by us. Yeah. Like we could legitimately make this movie because it could all take yeah. place on Zoom and you just need a couple actors essentially and you could play it really, really uh, small scale. But you, this is a this is a really compelling film. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in it. diving into this one. This is this this could actually lead to something pretty interesting. I I, I think your your batting average so far, Peter, is like off the charts. This is <laughs> I'm I'm fully on board with just outsourcing all titling to you at this point because I mean you, you you blew my brain apart with Arkham Files and then you just like put it back together and sent me to another planet with with Future Tense. So I'm, so, I'm still oh, buzzing thank, on thank Arkham you, Files. Thank you. thank you, sir. Thank you. So thank good. you both. Um, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. Have, I, I got to ask though before yeah. we get off this: Have you guys watched Host yet on Shutter? I have watched Host. Uh, it's so good. It, that, it's amazing. That, that is, I guess, for for anyone who's unfamiliar with it, it's a film that just premiered on Shutter uh, a couple of weeks ago. But it uh, a horror movie that was essentially filmed and presented all on Zoom, which is uh, a phenomenal achievement in filmmaking. You know, just aside from the fact that it's a really effective movie, it's a really so fun effective. horror movie. <laughs> Uh, but yes. it, the fact that they were just able to to pull that off, uh, you know, to to shoot with all of their actors, uh, you know, in remote places, and that that that's a uh, that that's pretty stellar. That's uh, pretty tremendous. Absolutely, yeah, that's so cool. Um, I I mean, I think we got some, I think we had some really strong ideas out of this podcast, and and maybe more than uh, many previous podcasts. I I feel like we have a couple that we that are legitimately writable. Um, if not, if not filmable in the case of future tense. So I think this was, this was a very productive session. And, uh, just want to say thanks again to Peter for, for kind of jumping on and, and co-hosting with us this week. And, um, just to sort of wrap things up, um, definitely give us a follow on social. If you haven't already, you can find us at let's write pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also check out our website, let's write pod.com. And we have all of our past episodes uploaded there. We have all the sort of additional content that we've done, posters, um, title treatments, scripts, outlines, treatments, all that sort of stuff you can find on our on our website. And of course, check us out on the uh, on, on our upcoming panel this this Saturday. And uh, just to, to reiterate, that panel is Saturday at 345 Pacific time. And you can find a lot more information about that on our uh, Twitter account as the pinned tweet. And uh, if you enjoyed uh, a future tense, um, that that idea came from a uh, a community submitted high concept idea. So if you have one of your own that you'd like to see us or hear us uh, read on air and, and discuss, please submit that uh, uh, through our, one of our social media accounts as well. And I just I just want to say thank you to to Ryan and, and Julian for having me on today. This was fantastic. Uh, I had a, I had a really nice time. Uh, we very much look forward to. Uh, to uh, taking credit for all of your good ideas and pretending like it was ours, uh, you know, 10, 15 years down the future. So. Yes, and future uh, lawsuits await. It's going to be great. Yeah, as you say, on that note, you know, before we before we get into any sort of legal complications, we will we will see you guys on the next podcast. Mm-hmm.